guys. Hi. Hi. I'm Trace. Trace, and, hi. And I'm that's Migs. And Migs. Hello, Trace and Migs. <laughs> Where are you guys? I'm West in Reading, Connecticut, and Migs is in Westport. We both grew up oh. in Westport. I love yeah. Westport. Are you been? Have you been? Well, we should say this. I've been, the, you yeah. know, walking around there. Yeah, I think. I oh. Um, okay, well, Trace, uh, yeah, we'd like to, we'll talk about it, how I think there's some overlap and things we've done. Uh, Trace. I'll introduce the show and then Migs will introduce you. Okay, great. Ready, Migs? Uh, yes. <laughs> now in partnership with the Westport Library and Quick Center for the Arts and iTunes, it's Oh Brother, Not Another Podcast with me, Trace Burroughs. And me, Migs Burroughs, and our special guest uh, is Carolyn McCormick. Uh, I was this, uh, I, been an iconic role on Law and Order uh, as Dr. Elizabeth Olivet, and many other uh, TV series and movies and voiceovers and all this kind of interesting stuff that I don't think anybody, maybe not very many people know know about. Um, so I guess the first, I'm a huge Law and Order fan. So. Uh, and you've been in 87 episodes? So, I have no idea. Okay, well, you should check your IMDb or whatever it's called thing. Yeah, <laughs> I've never checked those things. And they're often not accurate. No. Yes, yeah, I know. My thing is not accurate. So 87 episodes, is that for all the shows put together? Or just like one, you know, the, you're on five different, four Law & Order variations, and one no, of that I other one you I originally did the mothership as we were fond of it. Um, yeah. And then I did a little bit of all the spinoffs. I, there was a New York Undercover spinoff. And then there was Trial by Jury, Criminal Intent. Hmm. Um, oh, and um, CSCV, C, CSI or whatever. I always want, not CSI, um, SUV. That's right. Okay. That's, that's where you SUV. drive around. SUV. In a... I always say SUV because I think it's a car. Yeah, you drive, you drive to all the crime scenes in an SUV. Right? <laughs> in your Chevrolet Suburban. Yeah. So, so uh, Dick Wolf, that's his, he produces, uh, he produced New York Underground or? New York Undercover, they're all his. Undercover, all his, Jesus. That is, I mean, it makes me think, sorry, it just makes me think that, um, so, you know, Seinfeld and, and Larry David, they're billionaires, they, just from one series, and all these Law and Order there's like five shows and they're like all over the world probably, right? So yeah. Dick Wolf must be like a multi-billionaire, no? He must be, he hasn't shared his finances. <laughs> <laughs> is, he, is he a force on the set? I mean, is he just like this sort of distant, uh, you know, godlike figure in the, in the distance or is, is he on the set? Does he have any- um, I think he's on the set probably at the beginning. He was very much around when the first show first started, which was back in, 92 93 so he would come around but you know he lives in LA so the show is oh. all his shows shoot in New York well not all of them but he did have a law and order LA that didn't last long that was yeah. one of the only ones that didn't last long at all so you know he's busy in LA so we don't we didn't see him that much but we usually see them at the at the cast parties at the end of the year and every now and then he'd show up but it's certainly when the show was getting going he was around more does he now he has another show, Law and Order Crim uh, Organized Crime. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> this you is know. Definition of juggernaut, I guess. Yeah. Does <laughs> so, he produce other things other than the whole 
I think he does the Chicago series. He does Chicago PD oh. and Chicago Med. Anything that has to do with crime. Those are his like, shows. Yes. Because my friend Municipal organizations. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You've done so much. I don't know. Is that, I'm, I was wondering if that's, I know you probably would never say it was a curse, but I mean, you've been in so many TV series and, you know, you're identified with Law and Order because I guess you've been so visible and done so many. But when I've looked at some of the clips and seen you and things, you know, you obviously have a huge range and in law and order you're very kind of buttoned up and you're playing a doctor so you can't be running around and twirling oh and, and i'm so boring no <laughs> i mean it's so so yeah i live in new york so i get to do a lot of theater and i get to mm. branch out a lot but i certainly when i got this job i don't know 30 years ago never dreamed it would have become defined me in any way i just thought oh it's a nice job and it shoots in new york that'll be fun but yeah. I didn't know, and it wasn't that popular at the beginning. It didn't, oh. you know, we didn't know we were going to continue. And then I really think when it started playing in reruns on cable, early, early cable days, it started getting a following. But it's certainly not what I put most of my energy into. So it's odd that it becomes this iconic thing. I'm like, really? Okay. Well, I mean, I find it interesting with, I mean, we'll get off on other things, but I got to get my fanboy law and order fanboy <laughs> stuff out of the way um no i mean it covers there isn't anything that goes on today that you can't find a law and order episode from 20 years ago i mean terrorism racism police brutality organized crime sex rip abuse, from the headlines rip from the headline i mean and it's all you you look at these episodes and they're so relevant you know, I mean, I guess this stuff never changes. Um, well, and also, I think what Dick was really good at early on, I don't know so much now, but um, of keeping the people that are the regulars professional, he never has them going home or who's involved mm. with who or who's sleeping with who and all that. Because once you open that can of worms, you can't really put it back in. Then it becomes a soap opera in a way about mm. what's happening between. So he kept it super professional. And he also kept the endings unpredictable. Like many yeah. of those early episodes end and the good guy doesn't win. Yeah. The bad guy gets off. So he really, really explores the idea of there's no such thing as a law that covers every crime. Some people slip through the cracks for yeah. various reasons. And the good guy doesn't always win. So he doesn't tie it up in a neat little package, which I think so much of television Sure. They do that. Uh, it's all very, you know, answered you, for you. And but do you like some actors create a backstory for themselves, whether or not the, the the director cares that you do? But do you did you ever create a little backstory? Did did uh, um, Elizabeth have a sort of something going on in the back of your mind about why they feel a certain way in a scene? Like if you're in a scene and you're very pro you know, saving this little boy, you, you will come up with some kind of scenario, consciously or not, about why that boy needs to be saved and what in your personal life has pushed you to believe that, mm. you know? Did, did they have like a professional psychologist look over the lines to make sure that it was, it was They probably did. They have a lot of lawyers on these shows <laughs> oh, to oh. make sure that they don't, use the wrong use a name of someone who re really exists and oh. they um but lawyers say the show is pretty accurate because they do a lot of research in that department in terms of what really 
a judge would do or wouldn't do. And so it's not as theatrical and dramatic as some TV shows because it sticks closer to the truth, I feel. Yeah. And that's what I think makes them so compelling. So I have an, uh, and this has nothing to do with Law and Order. It's, it's the, when you played uh, Robert Maplethorpe's mother, um, and, and this is, could be arguably the silliest question ever asked on a podcast. But when <laughs> no. actors eat, obviously there's many takes. So you're, there was one scene you're at the dinner table with Robert and he's introducing Patricia as Patty Smith. And, he, right. and, and you're eating. I mean, do you spit that stuff out after scene one? I mean, do you chew and swallow? Are you full at the end of these, you know, five takes or I, 10 takes? I, I learned early on to drink more than eat. Oh, okay. To find the time that you take a sip of water or a sip of the wine or whatever, because it's much easier continuity-wise to keep track of oh, okay. than oh, yeah. the chewing and eating. Because if you take a big bite and then you have a line, <laughs> you've got all this food in your mouth. Or if you don't take a bite until the end of the line, then you need to be chewing if the, the camera's on you when you're listening. Oh, right. They well, can't the cut it together. If you've taken a big bite and then in another take, you're not chewing anymore. You're just sitting there, and then it looks like what you do: swallow it whole. <laughs> yeah, I know these actors are always playing with their food. You know, they don't yeah, want yeah. to take that bite, so there's like digging with the fork, and you know. Yeah, or play with your napkin. <laughs> I know all the little tricks to just keep from putting that in your mouth. Yeah, but I know people who do commercials, like a hamburger commercial. They do have a thing called a spit bucket. Oh, <laughs> because they've okay. got to do that again and again, and they have to take a big bite and show how much they love the burger, and and they have to do that from lots of angles, oh, and they do not that. swallow that stuff. Yeah, you know. So, so you went to Williams College. Did you know you were gonna? Were you when? When did you first? You know, get the. Well, I used to do. Um, I did plays in high school. I loved doing the theater. I love always loved the theater, and I used to do speech tournaments. Do you guys remember speech tournaments? You know, you oh, go yeah. and you. Make speeches? No, you memorize a little scene and you do a duet acting and then you go to the school and there's preliminaries and semis and then finals and then you win trophies and then you do dramatic interp where you're playing one character and but you're talking, you're playing both people. Mm. So you talk, <laughs> you're back and forth craziness, but I loved it. And that got me reading plays. Oh. That's when I started reading plays all the time because I was always looking for great monologues or great scenes that I wanted to do. And I did that from about eighth grade to my senior year, speech tournaments every weekend. It's like, you know. So it's, a, it's an acting competition, basically? Yeah. And they also have debate. So they have the forensic side where people are doing debate and it's more, you know, political stuff. And then they have the acting thing. And you go into classrooms and you stand up in front. There's a judge and a little audience. And you just stand there and you, you act it out. It's kind of nutty when you think about it now. And everyone's walking around the hall, talking to the wall, practicing, you know. <laughs> I never heard of it. Yeah. Talking to themselves. I do that all the time. <laughs> yeah. I'm Nobody. sure people look completely crazy. It's like now in Manhattan when people walk down the street and they've got ear pods in. Yeah, and they're having an argument and you're like, who are they talking to? Well, when you know, when when I was a young, when we were younger, and I'd go to time, New York is you know a big dangerous place, and people were talking to themselves, but they didn't have an excuse. They were literally just <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know they were. Have <laughs> the things in. Then you went to ACT. I went to Carnegie Mellon, and a lot of um, people, friends, and classmates came from ACT or went to ACT in San Francisco. What's ACT? American Conservatory Theater, right? Oh, uh, yeah. And that's where you. 
sort that of- That was my grad school. Mm. And um, yeah, that was a great, great program. They, they take like 40 students in the first year and they cut it to 20 in the second year, which wasn't so great because it made the students very competitive with each other. And then the third year, they just take whoever they need into their company and you get to work on the main stage. And so I was there, I was there four years. So you always wanted to be an actress starting from, I guess, the, those um, yeah, when competitions. I went, yeah. When I went to college, I thought, oh, I'll audition for the play. And then when I got cast right away, I teach now and I always say, follow the yeses. And that's kind of like, I went to college and I thought, oh, I'll audition for the play for fun. I was planning on majoring in history. I ended up majoring in theater and French. So, you know, you just, it just sort of happened. I kept getting cast in the plays and I kept spending all my time at the theater. And then I got asked to come to ACT because I did this thing called the TCGs, which I don't think exists anymore. So that was where, um, they invited me to come to ACD grad school and I thought, oh, that'd be fabulous, San Francisco, great. So it just kind of mm. happened that way. I didn't really, I didn't have a plan. Yeah, well, that's the best, worked out. best way. So you said you just came um, from, I don't know, were you exercising or running? I'm just curious what your, you know, actors have to be and, you know, they, people don't think of it as, as, let's say, I don't know, a strenuous thing, but you know, there's a lot of focus and intensity physically. It's your, I mean, you're, Plus you got to stay in shape to get, yeah. Cause when you go to, uh, no, you I still audition, to, right. For things. Yes. Oh, and I stay in shape for me. Cause I yeah. just psychologically, I feel better when I, when I exercise. So I'm pretty, I'm really addicted to exercising. Also, it's a great way to learn lines. Oh, is it? You're exercising your brain gets oxygenated. So you, oh can retain things so much faster. So, so speaking of that, do you have a trick of how to memorize lines? And what actor, mm. uh, way going way back, uh, uh, David Wayne, I don't know, he was an old stage actor from you know, the 50s and 60s. He said he'd read it over five times. And that's how he memorized his lines. I've tried that, uh, <laughs> it doesn't work for me. I gotta read it like a hundred times, but. Uh, I do it like add on, like I learn the first line and then I yeah. learn the first and the second line and then I do the first and second oh. and third. So I keep sort of, but I often do it when I'm exercising. I used to do it when I would go swimming. I'd put the speech at the end of the pool and I'd read the first line, swim a lap. Then I'd read this first and oh, the second line, swim some laps. And yeah. then by the end of my 30 minute swim, I would know the whole monologue. Uh-huh. Soggy, it was a very soggy <laughs> <moment>. <laughs> It's very, <Yeah. laughs> so, uh, yeah, so what is it? I mean, swimming, yoga, running, do you do all that? I mean, any exercise of choice? I do, um, an exercise I do an elliptical. I do a lot of floor work. I don't do like Peloton. I don't do anything where someone's screaming back at me. I do, it all <laughs> <the time. Yeah>. <laughs> you know, because I usually like to do something else while I'm doing it. So I'm not mm. just focused on someone telling me to go faster or slower. Yeah, that would make me very upset. I don't. I don't want to be bossed around. And I haven't been. To the gym. <laughs> you know, yeah, exactly. And I haven't been to the gym since COVID, so I've just been doing it all on my own. But I love at the gym the classes that they have where I go to the gym at New York Sports Club. Oh yeah. And I'll go back eventually. And I'm curious about your voiceover. You've done um, tons of voiceovers for. Um, you know, Hunger Games, Ken Burns documentaries, uh, politicians, James Patterson. Yeah. Uh, and then you did the Amy Fisher story. But I, I, that was my first one. Was it really? That was my first audiobook. 
so how is it different? Because it's not, I guess, is it acting? I mean, I'm not diminishing. I'm just saying it's not, you're not embodying a, a person you're narrating, but where does the, you know, nuances come from to narrate a story like that? I mean, we're, you know. Well, with audiobooks, those are intense three or four days in a recording, in a booth recording mm. and reading it, you know, and you make mistakes and there's a producer and you'll go back and reread it and stuff. Um, the reason acting comes in handy for that is sometimes you have to, they don't want cartoon voices for the characters, but when you're reading dialogue, they want some slight variation. And an actor sometimes has a natural instinct of what to stress in a line so that they know how to make the most sense of that particular line, especially if you're trained in Shakespeare and Shaw and things like that. It's much easier to just naturally, you can, it's like when someone reads aloud, some people naturally read aloud really cold, beautifully. Mm -hmm. Some people, when they read it cold, it's very kind of clunky and hard to understand what's being said. So it's just a skill. And I think actors tend to be better at that. And also you have to be so careful that you sustain the thought all the way through the line when you're doing an audiobook. because what happens is you're reading it and you see the end of the line and your eyes are already going to the beginning of the next line mm. because you know it's, you got to keep going. So you can tend to kind of like drop out and then pick <laughs> it up again at the beginning of the line and then you kind of drop out and then you pick it up again in the next line. So that's why it's hard. Like at the end of days when I've done audiobooks, my my stomach hurts from my diaphragm having to wow. be constantly pushing out and sustaining the ideas all the way through as opposed to just briefly and then dropping. Yeah, and sometimes sense. you're doing other voices. I mean, you don't necessarily take on the voice of the character, but you have to voice different people. Well, uh, you usually pick like if like Hunger Games, the narrator, Katniss, you make sure that that's kind of your voice. Hmm. But then all the other people, that's the most character voices I've done because you've got really like Effie Trinket and then, then you can get very, I had fun with that one. That yeah. was, and that was before it was a sensation. The book was just coming oh, out really? so no one knew. So you weren't under the pressure of that kind of no, thing. No, I just knew it was great. I was like, oh. this is going to be huge. But <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't, you know, it was the beginning. So, um, and they were very secret about the script that I had to read, the manuscript. And my son, one of my, both my sons loved to read, but one of them was like, can I read it? Can I read it? Can I read it? Because <laughs> he could tell it was great. You know, are, are, you, are your sons into uh, acting, show business? Well, my um, my oldest son wasn't interested in it. Um, and then he went to college. I mean, all during high school, he was mostly interested in music and got, it was in a jazz band and stuff. And then I went, he went to college. And in college, he said he was going to audition for the play. And I thought, oh, that'll be fun. And he got the lead. And then he auditioned for another play and he got the lead. And then I thought, oh, dear. <laughs> Looks like it's happening. Up. He <laughs> said, I'm auditioning for grad schools. And he did. He auditioned for NYU, Yale, Juilliard, and he got into all of them. So he's now at Juilliard. So we're, my husband and I are both like, okay, I guess we have an actor. Yeah. <laughs> You're married to an actor too, right? Your I'm husband. married to an actor. Yeah. And my younger son is into, um, he makes movies. He's in um, college still, but he, oh. so um yeah, they seem to be going into the arts, but we did not encourage it is all I can say. Yeah. <laughs> it's just the influence I think brought up that thought, way. I don't know. They, they made the decision all on their own. Well, it that happens. Wasn't... I mean, our father was an artist, but and he discouraged, well, I don't know if he discourages, he's just very critical. So it was kind of a discouragement, but we ended up, it was like, it's your destiny, it's like, I guess. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, I think, and maybe it's where you feel comfortable and you like the people. I mean, they grew up around all our friends. They're all actors. They're all very entertaining and good storytellers. And it probably just looked really fun. So you've been in a lot of productions with your husband, right? I have. We have done, I think, 15 or 16 mm. plays. And we just did a Lifetime movie together. What's the title of that one? Uh, um, <laughs> a Murder to Remember. Oh. <laughs> so is that fun or is it like extra stressful? To oh, do no, it's fun, especially yeah. doing plays. Yeah, it's really fun because you get to rehearse them. And, oh, right. You, can, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. you really can figure out like you can figure out everything. So yeah. but there's fun. no fear of being too comfortable with the person. Like if you're having a, you know, kind of a confrontational thing or I don't know. Is it doesn't that, really happen. You know? I know that? people do have troubles, but we mm -hmm. haven't had them. But I know that there are people that get. But we're also not competitive with each other. I think sometimes no. people are competitive. It's more just fun. Um, yeah, we, yeah, we, yeah. I can't think of a time when we've had like, and it's nice to have someone to talk to about, oh, what, what do you think I should do here? Or try this or try that. Or if you don't like the director or you do like the director, you have someone, you have a common right. language. Mm -hmm. Right, and, and confidence, yeah, you can share. But we also both just, we just go to work, we do our work. Some people don't even know we're married until much later. <laughs> They'll realize, well, I didn't know you guys were married. Um, because we're just both doing our work and then, mm. and then we go home. So we so we really research, do a lot of research when we have before we have a guest on. So I see that your husband and you, your birthdays are like two days apart. They are. So what do you do for birthdays? <laughs> we used to always go out to the beach. We'd go to Amagansett and stay. Um, and then we had two kids and then we our time got less. We were less free to go and escape as yeah. much as we used to. But we do try to go somewhere for our little birthday excursion. And we still kind of like the beach. So you exchange gifts too or no? Oh, yeah. I like yeah. presents. So you do it at the same day or you wait the second no, one of I the two days on, I get on your birthday? And, you. and he gets his on the 21st. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it's it's fun. And, it, you know, we um, often we do it. We have a house up, up outside the city. So sometimes we'll just be up there. Yeah. And celebrate. But yeah, we always do something. Speaking of fun, I mean, there's a thing on your website, Mara. Uh, I keep thinking Marilyn McCoo was in the fifth dimension. Carol, <laughs> uh, just for, on your website, there's this thing just for fun. And there's this thing of you doing news. Is that a goof or were you a newscaster? I was a newscaster. That's why I put it on there because my brother is mortified that I did that. But when I was in high school, they used to have afternoon, like when Gulliver's, um, Gulliver's Travels or Gilligan's Island. Yes. And all those like afternoon shows, they would have right before the hour, five minute little news blurb and you would do the news and only kids were watching the show usually at that time between like three and five. So I, um, I would go and I was also a basketball player and I remember I would go into my little booth and you'd sit there in a little box and there was a little round circle that you would talk into and you'd get the, the news feed. And often from my waist down, I was in like high tops and knee pads cause I'd have to zoom out of the booth to get to my game or whatever. And um, yeah, you would sit there and do news before the hour. 
And I just have that one clip. I did it for a long time, but I just, the guy gave me, it was one of those huge eight by 10 tracks or whatever back in the day. And I finally thought, oh, I should get this and transfer it to a DVD or whatever I did. And then I watched it and I thought, I have to put this on my website. This is too funny. But yeah, it was for reals, 39 news. Yeah. Yeah, there was a couple of clips in it. No, it was. It's interesting to see. And you had no aspirations to, to be. Uh... Oh, I kind of had a Barbara Walters fantasy for a while. <laughs> oh, yeah. That was she was like. Migs has one, too. But again, that, that wasn't, you know, plays kept coming my way. So I just kept following that. No one was asking me to be a newscaster. Um, well, actually, that brings up seeing a Barbara Walters. I didn't plan this, but seeing a Barbara Walters, I, this is a Barbara Walters type question. So, if you encountered your, let's say, ten-year-old self, what what would you tell her in terms of I don't know the best way to you know uh, pursue her, you know, her her career oh, or her interest? Gosh, I would probably tell her um, or any warnings. I would probably tell her to um, be as present as possible when you're in a situation on a set to really be noticing like the timing of things, being prepared, Mm. being um, really ready to go at all times and not always focusing on a secondary activity and distracted by something else you're kind of trying to do. Just be there and focus. Mm. Yeah, that's good. Because I've heard actors, I mean, people talk about other actors, you know, that's, oh, they just switch it off and then they're laughing and they're doing this. And I would think, how do you get, how can you really be present if you're doing that? I mean, shouldn't you just be like always tuned in? That happens a lot, especially if you're a regular on a TV show, Mm -hmm. you know, you'll be making jokes and telling stories and you'll see the poor guest stars over in the corner (laughs) crying because she has to suddenly say, my husband was hit by a car in front Mm -hmm. of me and we're all joking around and then they're like, okay, action. And then we all get really serious and you see it's brutal. It's brutal. So I'm, I try to be very sensitive to that because I'm aware of how much pressure and guest stars are usually much more nervous than the cast because they've been doing this for days and day in and day out. And Mm. they know the crew, they know everything. They know if they screw up, they're not going to get fired. They're just going to shoot it again. You know, whereas a guest star, you're really wanting to be good and on and ready and prepared and, if you're having a bad day or you just can't quite get there and you know, it's, it's, it can be really brutal. So how do you like when they're setting up lights or whatever, I know it can be hours or things change. What, how do you kill time during that time? time Um, I usually do bring a lot of stuff because sometimes they, I'll bring my desk basically in a bag. Like if I've got bills to pay or (laughs) um, emails to return or whatever. And I just have a whole, because yeah, and I'll bring my laptop, but back in the day, you know, I'd bring a little book bag full of all my activities because what happens is you can get to a set and then they've decided actually your scene's not going to be first up. We put you eight and you can't sit there and run your lines for eight hours. You can, you'll go stir crazy. So if you bring a good task, um, you don't get frustrated and you don't get tired. You know what I mean? When you're not doing anything, hours tick away. Or you don't start grazing craft service and eating things you would never normally <laughs> eat. So those are a lot of the things. So I bring a lot of activities. And if I don't get to any of them because they I'm busy the whole time working, that's fine. But yeah. if 
if I'm stuck in my little trailer for a while, I just have stuff to do. A lot of people bring books. I sometimes will bring like, um, if I'm needle pointing or knitting. So just something to keep you engaged. So you're not just staring at the walls, waiting for the knock on the door to say, come to set. Also that can help with your nerves. If you're thinking about something other than when I get in there, what are they, oh, am I gonna remember my lines? Or, well, you know, there's all kinds of things that can get in an actor's way. Yeah. Um, and a lot of it, I think, is when they think too hard about, you know, am I gonna, is it gonna, am I, am I gonna do it right? Am I gonna do it right? And then it's, it puts a lot of pressure on you. Do they get angry if you substitute, you know, on a line like you, it's the same essence of the meaning, but you kind of word it yourself because maybe at that moment you didn't remember exactly how it was laid out and you just express Usually it. If you are, if you're paraphrasing, I mean, yeah. not all the time, some movies are freer in television. Usually they have things pretty much timed out. And if they're going to repeat the word cathedral, yeah. there would be a reason the writer has put cathedral in your scene because it's picked up again it's not church it's cathedral there may be a reason oh. they're using that word so continuity will come over to you and gently say um hey it's cathedral not church you keep saying church mm -hmm. and then they'll you'll do it again they're, they're pretty they have to be pretty tight i mean they're not brutal about it and they're no, not yeah. gonna make you but um there's a reason they have they use a certain vocabulary in television scripts because it's a theme that's echoed sometimes oh, yeah. but you'll get corrected for saying you know you said um this and it's that i mean they, they will they will correct you yeah continuity in film i found it's, it's more lenient and some directors are like they they'll say let's just improv this a little what's what do you, you know? work with woody allen what was how, what's he's his very, style he's very much let's just improv this and see oh, yeah. um you know what happens and um he doesn't do as much kind of conventional coverage, or at least in the scene that I did. So there's not an over the shoulder, over the shoulder, a two shot, all that. He just kind of moves the camera around and, you know, gets, it was a much freer form. So it isn't, television sometimes gets a little formulaic in terms of the mm. coverage that they need to edit it together. So it's got a different, um, different requirements. And also television is on a much tighter time schedule. You know, they've got eight days to shoot these things and there's, mm. they're getting a lot of pages in a day. And a movie often, not always, again, none of this is far, hard and fast, but um, films often have a little more leeway and, and a little more luxurious of a day in terms of the number of pages they're trying to get. So you don't have that same pressure. In television, you really need to get your day. And if you mess up Monday, it goes into Tuesday and then Tuesday, leads into Wednesday and when, and then by Friday you're there at 5 a.m. Yeah, an hour day. Because yeah. the days keep spilling into the next day. So that can be, you know, an issue. Do you do any writing like no dabble? I toyed with like trying to write a one woman show every now and then mm. about my mom and funny stories that I've collected over the years and funny sad stories. But I never can quite find what the message would be other than kind of telling a bunch of stories. That bring <laughs> was your, you was know, your like, mom in the theater? I mean, why your mom? No, she had Alzheimer's. So a lot of the stories came out of that oh, and her heartbreak when my dad, she and my dad got divorced after 30 years and all the different situations that surrounded that. Um, they're just some really good stories. They're very yeah. sad, but very funny in a weird way. So I... Um, 
I toy with that every now and then, but I just have to know what it is I'm trying to tell other than sure. a one woman yeah. show to show off. You yeah. Know what I mean, it's got, yeah. I want a bigger, I'm try, trying to find the, the link that yeah. would get more than just- you Make it universal. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, a real story that would have a point. Have you ever done cartoons? Like switching gears completely. Have you ever done a cartoon? I haven't, but I would love to. Would, I would you? Love to. I've auditioned every now and then. I get a little cartoon audition, but not that often. Or a superhero. Uh, superhero yeah. would be really fun. Yeah. You would do that? I mean, in live action, would you do a live action? Super, oh, yeah. Like Black Widow or something? Yeah. That would be great. <laughs> um, but see, again, I'm so identified with this boring Dr. Olivet. <laughs> yeah. You get a lot of typecasting from your agent, like with this other show needs like, you know, a medical examiner or a psychologist. Yeah. Or whatever. Dr. Yeah, you know. Dr. Molivet, doctor. Yeah. <laughs> I get told all the time, you know, oh, no, she's she's not sexy. She's not she's too boring. You know, so I just get like, OK, what can you do? You know, if what? they see me in the theater, I don't get that at all, because oh. on stage you see the right. whole package. You see different characters, accents, all kinds of stuff. And I do a lot of theater. But, um, and even my audiobooks. Uh, but you do get branded by, I get Dr. Olivet and a character I played on Star Trek named Minuet. Minuet, oh yeah. People oh, like that character there. a lot. Yeah. Another one, she was the computer generated version of the ideal woman. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Which I like to remind my husband all the time. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so that was, um, that that's what I get. If I get fan mail, it's usually a picture of Minuet or Dr. Olivet. You get crazy like, fans. I did a movie uh, with Sam Elliott called um, "You Know My Name," which was a beautiful mm. little movie. And you know, yeah. a lot of things just go go by the wayside. Yeah, I'm, actors get stuck. Whatever television is a powerful, probably more powerful than the films, right? For what people identify you with. Uh, yeah, do people yeah, ever? Yeah, you're in their living room so you know you you're in their living room once a week so they're yeah. very familiar with you you know it's not like going to the movies and it's you're bigger than life and it's got a whole different vibe yeah it's less intimate in a way you ever get fans trying to like since they think you're a psychologist asking you like you know i've got issues can you <laughs> yeah. help me with them <laughs> no i haven't but you know i did a campaign i was the spokesperson for nicoderm for years and um, people would like, I'd be walking down the street and you're like, ooh, that's that lady. Don't smoke in front of her. <laughs> Stop smoking lady and stuff like that. So that was very funny. <laughs> yeah, it's, and you never know who you're reaching or confronting. Okay, well, we're all, I don't, I'm grateful for your time. I have one other last silly question and maybe you don't have the answer, but it's a law and order thing. At the, in the, I think in the first couple, 10, 15 years at the end of every episode. And I don't know if you hang around to see the whole thing being shot, but it usually ends in the DA's office and they're wrapping up and talking and some, you know, uh, comment in the background. There's always somebody mopping the floor. Oh, really? Do you know what that's about? You know, I've never noticed that. No, I every watch now and look in the early scenes and you see it through the window of, uh, Jack's office or whoever the, whoever office they're in, they're doing that little wrap up dialogue that, you know, to, and get in the elevator. But before they leave the office, sometimes it's way in the background down the hall, somebody, some 
you know. Oh, that's so fabulous. I, I truly have never noticed that. <laughs> oh, but I okay. love that. I wonder if that was a Dick Wolf signature type of thing. Well, and I know early on, I don't know if this relates to that, but they did make it. It was one of the first shows to shoot in New York. Now a lot of shows shoot mm. here, but it was really unusual to have a show shot in New York because it's really hard to get the space and on the street and the trailers. Oh, it's yeah. just much more of a nightmare than the, the comfort of a big sound studio. But they made it gritty. They really, like, the mm. women aren't super glamorous. They didn't wear, we didn't wear a lot of makeup. There wasn't a lot of big hair. Um, everyone had very much New York faces. They weren't gorgeous, tan, Southern mm. California look. And um, so maybe that was part of the grittiness. Oh, but yeah. At the end of the day, it's, a, it's dirty. It's I don't dirty. know. And it I mean, kind of highlighted not. the two worlds. I mean, there's the world of the, you know, and then there's, the, let's say, presumably an immigrant in the hallway, you know, doing cleaning up after yeah. everybody, you know. Yeah. And they're at the end of the day. It's like at the end of a day in New York in an office building, it's grimy. It's yeah. dirty. It's, you know, those people. But I'm going to have to check that out. Joe Stern, who was one, one of the, who was the main showrunner on the show at the first three years and re really influential in giving the show a look and sound and everything. He's a good friend of mine. I'm going to ask oh, him. He yeah. Would, he would know yeah. what the mopping was. Oh, thanks. Well, I don't I'll, know. I'll email you if I get a good answer. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. I appreciate that if you communicate somehow. Because yeah. every time I notice, I said, I wonder if it's going to be in this episode. And sure enough, there's somebody now sleeping. Now I have to watch. I can't believe I've never noticed. Mopping, that. whatever. Okay. Well, I just I, have friends of mine that are musicians that say they wish they had invented that. Oh my god! Oh yeah! They're like if I'd only come up with those two chords. Yeah. <laughs> and how about and the they're using that in other films and TV shows, like yeah. it, it's comedies? Yeah. They're inserting it here and there. Yeah. 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 It's, it's great though. It's a good sound. Well, Carolyn, can't thank you enough for your time. That was yeah, great. Thank you talking oh, with you. Oh, well, thank you. And sorry I didn't get all fluffed and folded for you. <laughs> You're good. You're great. I mean, I, yeah, yeah. But we'll, we'll just do the audio if you and if that makes you comfortable. But thank you so much. All right. Thank you, okay, guys. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. -bye. bye.